You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. Our current serial is of Knives and Night Blooms. This is chapter three. I'm actually dividing this one up into two episodes because it's a very long chapter. And because I made a choice about how the chapters are named based on where the characters are, uh, there wasn't a lot I could do to divide it up. Uh, so, yeah, I'm dividing it up for the purposes of the uh, of the podcast. So, chapter three, Aboard the Silken Hair, part one. Nothing had prepared Calix for sailing on the River Divine. She had always been taught that other countries had no magic that equaled theirs. In the Imperium, magic was poured into books and vials and veins, tightly controlled, tightly managed, discreetly distributed via higher education and secret societies. In the House of Flowers, oldest of the magical colleges, Calix had learned that the magic of the Imperium was supreme. Other countries with their wild and unfettered scraps of magic dancing around in the grass and the dirt, could not compare. Especially the poorly named Divine Kingdom, which was so backward that women were not allowed to train in magic at all, only to be used as vessels of power by their husbands or fathers. If rumours were to be believed, the current royal family of the Divine Kingdom was so lacking in magic in their own bloodline that the Eternal King himself had executed twelve of his own sons for being too mortal. That was the family she was sailing towards. The Divine Kingdom, such an antiquated culture that death and war were considered appropriate subjects of worship, and yet they had a river like this, Wild, uncontrolled, available to all, brimming with chaos and power. Calix stood on the prow of the silken hair, her hired river barge, gazing out at the water. The river divine curled out before her, wider than the canals she was used to back home, teeming with life. The water was bright and layered with lights and colour, like her own favourite silk robes back home. The river was thick with magic, heavy with magic, alive with magic. Calix wanted to drink every drop of it, swallow until she was bursting. Beside her, the prisoner looked unimpressed. This isn't going to work, he said in a low voice. You can't cheat the Black Raven of his priests. I don't intend to cheat your god of death, she replied, watching for the wince as he said the word death aloud. Good. Some things should not stay unspoken. They gained too much power that way. I intend to beat him, though, and the first step is you telling me how to end your contract. Icarus Swift, Hand of the Black Raven, 
gave her a distant smile. He was an attractive man, rougher than the courtiers with whom she sported these days. He was solidly built, like a bodyguard. His face was scarred and battered around the edges, but intensely compelling beneath that close-cropped beard. Dangerous. Once upon a time, she would have considered him exactly her type. But that was a lifetime ago, when she was a rebellious daughter of the Imperium, a neglected wife with time on her hands. Now, she was a matron, a widow, mother of a girl nearly old enough to sign a marriage contract herself. Calix had other things to worry about than whether a man would be good to her in bed. The payment was made, said Icaros the hand. His, vo- his words came out sharply, swishing and vicious, like he was angry she was still alive to have this conversation. Seal was accepted. There is no ending to my contract, but the obvious one. It'll be fulfilled when I kill you. Calix could feel the golden threads running from his veins to her own, taut, alive with not only her power but that of the river. She was connected by a similar thread to everyone on this boat, except her daughter Nimoy, all sworn loyal to her service by the magic she had cast upon them. That final spell, the one she exploded into the air as the assassins drew in around her, Their threads shone bright instead of everyday dull, like gold wire, taut and everlasting. Icarus the hand would never hurt her. We'll see about that, said Calix calmly. You and your friends serve me now. Your only mission is to get me and my daughter to the city of Phoenix Burning, alive and well. His eyes flitted to her and then away, staring at the dancing, roiling colours of the River Divine. We'll see about that, he echoed. If anything, the thread between them grew brighter. The other priests of death were no more forthcoming. Calix made sure to speak to each of them individually, but neither the blade nor the needle gave her anything more useful than the hand. The magic compelled them to serve her, even to obey her. But it did not force devotion or love, not at first. The bond would bring that in time. The longer they were compelled to serve, the harder it would be for them to separate their own feelings from the magic. For now, they could resent her all they wanted. They belonged to her, blood and flesh. Betrayal was unthinkable. They could be more helpful in telling her what she needed to know, why on earth she'd been made their target, who was behind the plot. Surely someone broke a rule, Calix said, in frustration to Valeria the Blade. She could not get a read on the woman who had been disguised, disguised as a washer when Calix drank her tea with her hostess at the Blooming Cup pretending she did not already know she was marked for death four times over. 
For a woman who was capable of going undercover, of getting her hands dirty with servant's work, Valeria now held herself like a queen. An angry, potentially violent queen. She reminded Calix of one of her more intimidating magic professors. She tried again to get through to the cold-eyed woman. No one in the history of your order has been hired to kill someone else's target. In more than a century, it's forbidden. It's insulting. An abomination. Aren't you angry about it? I was, said Valeria the Blade, standing very still, her eyes on the river. A creature leapt out of the coloured waters, or a ghost of a creature, part horse, trailing wings behind it, part fish, glistening with silver. Another leaped, its mouth tipped back as it tasted the air, and bright teeth gleamed. I was furious and insulted and ready for vengeance. But then someone took away my freedom and gave me something new to be angry about. Currently I choose to focus on that. Valeria kicked out her foot, revealing the black mark of the night bloom on her ankle. Calix had not meant her spell to be quite this thorough. Her only plan had been to stop the assassins in the act before they could end her life, by whatever means necessary. The charm she usually used to compel service staff, such as the gaze she had laid upon every sailor on this river barge when she hired them, was usually mild, allowing many personal freedoms to the bearer. But her days in this country had changed her. The river divine was stronger here than at the mouth of the mountains, where she first stepped aboard the hired vessel. When she cast the spell against the assassins, Calix's power had burst into flame, so much stronger in the proximity of this wild and strange river. She should have killed them. Instead, she took them as her tools. Where there should be four dead assassins, she had four living bond servants. The night bloom that marked those in Calix's service was usually a pale shadow against the skin, not this deep, sharply defined tattoo. The full bond was a rare magic, something that even the highest ranks of Imperium mages used sparingly. She did not know anyone living who had ever cast the bond on four people at the same time. Hardly surprising that Valeria's body language was unfriendly when the person she wished to kill was standing so close to her and she could do nothing about it. We have the same enemy, Calix said, wanting this woman to understand her. Valeria turned a chilly gaze in her direction. I don't think you understand how enemies work. How do I find out who hired you? Calix asked Mardi, the needle, when it was the other woman's turn to stand at the bow of the silken hair with her new mistress. Beneath the deck there was the galley, storage space in the bulkhead, sleeping space for sailors in their hammocks and so on. 
The two cabins were built on the deck level back to back. When Calix set out, there had been one cabin for her and one for her daughter. But now they had their prisoners. She and Nimue would have to share. In front of the cabins was the wheelhouse, a roofed enclosure from which the captain steered the ship. It was a big river barge, the largest she'd been able to hire, though she had also chosen the silken hair because it looked quite ordinary. Not the sort of vessel upon which one might expect to find two foreign royals on their way to the capital city, bound for the palace. Calix and Mardi stood on the deck, immediately in front of the wheelhouse, facing the river ahead. Mardi looked tired, but there was none of the strained energy that had radiated off her two colleagues. She was resigned, Calix thought. Perhaps that was from being heavily pregnant. There was a point in that process where you had to learn to go with the flow of your body, stop fighting what you could not control. Calix had never felt more vulnerable in her life than during those months when she carried her daughter. It was worse, however, once the person she loved most in the world was separate from her, not always within reach to protect and guide. Nimue was everything. Did Mardi feel the same about her own unborn child? We don't know who paid for your contract, said Mardi. We never do. That's protocol. We serve at the will of the Black Raven. Everything else is temple administration. Don't you want to know who did this? Calix asked. Who insulted your calling as priests by setting the four of you against each other? Oh, said the needle with an unexpected laugh in her throat. The four of us, yes, we're all feeling terribly insulted. Where's the nearest temple of the Black Raven? If the priests could not give Calix answers, she would have to seek them elsewhere. Mardi shrugged. There are twelve temples spread around the kingdom. They never divulge their clients. You'd save time by working out who wants you dead and working back from there. Where's the nearest temple on the river? Calix repeated. Mardi nodded ahead to where the sparkling water curved out of sight before them. The Hanging Market. You can't miss it, we'll be there before nightfall. I don't recommend you take any of us with you. We have a lot of friends there, and at some point Icaros is going to figure out how to cut that night bloom off his neck. When that happens, you'll be dead. Icaros, repeated Calix. Interesting that he was the one Mardi thought most likely to escape from her trap. You have a lot of faith in him. I have more to lose, said Mardi distantly, her hand curving over her body. Valeria will watch and wait and bide her time because she hates failure more than she hates inaction. But Icaros? He'll walk over broken glass to be free of you. I hate that I told you that. I hate that we serve you, that you forced us to this, but I... I can't fight you. I could have struck you all down dead in the blooming cup, said Calix quietly. 
Why was she feeling guilty about this? Why try to justify what she had done to her would-be murderer? You planned to kill me, every one of you. It would have been easy for me to step over your dead bodies and continue on my journey. Mardi turned toward Calix, revealing a wild, pained expression on her face. I know, she breathed, and yet what you actually did to us is worse. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. I'll be back next week with the second half of Chapter 3, Aboard the Silken Hair. This podcast was recorded on Palawar land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.